I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 144, I believe. Um, just wanted to say thank you to everybody for uh, your feedback on the last several episodes and on Halloween times in general. Uh, I w- <laughs> Full disclosure, uh, often Halloween times is four weeks. Uh, this one, it is five, which has taken its toll because... <laughs> These, um, these episodes, you know, cause usually it's, I do an episode and then I do a mini. So the mini episodes don't require a whole lot of preparation episodes do not merely, uh, as far as making notes and stuff, but also just thinking about the themes throughout the week. And then you record about them and doing five of these in a row is really difficult. This <laughs> is actually a harder show to do than battleship pretension, mm. uh, for reasons. I don't know. I can't figure out why, but anyway, so, um, my energy is low. Um, and, uh, and we are recording and you also hear that my volume is a bit low as well, because I am aware that uh, I'm in an unfamiliar environment and I, that there are people, there are people sleeping in other rooms. And so, uh, I, you'll have to listen to my dulcet tones like you used to all those years ago when I would be recording in my one bedroom apartment all alone with my wife asleep in the bedroom. So, um, but where am I? Where where am I recording? I am recording at the house of our very own Reed Lackey. Reed, how you doing? I'm doing all right. All right. I am. Uh, I'm actually doing much better. Oh, good. Uh, yes. For, oh, that's right. Yes, yes. yes. We for, did tell people about your horrible. Uh, yes. Yeah, you survived a monster attack. I did, as a matter of fact. Yeah, it's, it's really funny. I'm not being hyperbolic. As a matter of fact, I uh, yeah, it was a pretty nasty couple of weeks there. Uh, just got some nasty bites, and they got infected. But spider bites, I should say. Yes, yes. they were they were they were spider bites, and um, they I, I got a nice little staph infection that went along with those, and abscesses and stuff. The listeners, you know, you had to have your knee to. drained, right? I did. I had to have it drained. Ugh. They had to. They had to pack it with gauze and and then i had to go get that procedure redone the day after what was drained out of it um it was just a well pus it's just like a like a sort of a like a fluid pocket that was under my skin and they had to puncture that and 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 drain it all out and then uh once did it feel good for it to be out like that i'm sure it was very painful but like i don't know just terribly painful um there was like psychologically knowing that that is not inside me anymore i feel like it'd be wonderful well i will say this like while it was while it was at its worst it shoots these waves of pain everywhere um and so like my whole body was concentrated on like your knee hurts and something's badly wrong with your knee and then um once they did that it was terribly painful the worst part by the way is uh the needle to numb it that was the worst part and then once that's done like everything though painful was less painful by comparison right um and then once that had actually happened it was uh, and and they got all that stuff out of there then it was uh it wasn't shooting those waves of pain everywhere right. the pain was centralized to my knee um, which was actually surprisingly a relief, even though it hurt very badly. Sure. It was it was not as bad as when your whole body knows something is terribly wrong. Were they were they able to figure out what kind of spider it was? I mean, no. not that it matters. They're all horrible. No, they are all horrible. And it, and to be honest with you, well, I will say this just in full disclosure that the reaction I had was not a result specifically of venom, mm-hmm. um, so much as it was just that whichever variety of spider bit me um, caused me to get infected. Mm -hmm. Um, So they did say like when they got the culture back, like it was an infection 
from the bites, not uh, like a systemic reaction to the to the venom or anything. So no, they couldn't identify which house which spider it was. No. Um, odds are it was just a common house spider because had it been one of the two nastier varieties, right. I would have had a lot worse symptoms. Right. I would have had you know like the abdominal cramping and the hospital visit and no. all of that other sort of stuff. So thank God I did not have to deal with any of that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's been it's been a couple of weeks. Uh, I, I was. This is now day 16. They still hurt, but the hurt is down to like a 2 out of 10. So, yeah. Reed, I'm so sorry for the ordeal. Um, I appreciate the sympathy. I'm, 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 I'm scared now because I'm here. I'm where the spiders are. <laughs> you know, I can't, I, I'm looking over my shoulder. I'm looking, uh, you know, I'm worried it'll crawl up my pant leg and bite my own knee. They like biting knees, obviously. Uh, the, well, it's, it's all right because we're in a, in a, in a reasonably well lit room at this point and, and they're, they're cowards. As, as are you worried that, are you like, have you been worried to go to bed that like, well, apparently there are spiders in my bed and they're just gonna, they're <laughs> gonna keep on biting me until they get me. Surprising, surprisingly not. Surprisingly not. I would figure that this, that this sort of thing would actually only uh, increase my, my fear of them. I will say this, and again, I feel the need to apologize um, for to, to listeners for what I'm about to say. But uh, my wife did find one. I think it was about uh, four or five days ago in the in the bathroom in the corner, and uh, I took an absurd amount of glee in spraying it with Raid and watching it suffer. I don't know. It's it's perfectly fine. Again, like you shouldn't feel bad about it's like feeling bad about re- getting cancer removed, you know, getting a oh, tumor taken oh, out, you know, a malignant yes. tumor. Like, yes. you know, it's just uh there's no good in them. They yeah. are horrible, horrible demons. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one thing about Halloween times coming to an end is that we mm-hmm. don't uh you know, we're going to have to wait another year unless you get bitten again. We're going to have to wait another year to to remind people once again, that spiders are the absolute worst things. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, well, I'm glad that you're on the mend. I am. I am. Yeah. I'm very thankful. Anybody who did happen to say a prayer for me. Thank you very much. Indeed. So, uh, before we jump into the episode, and once again, you can, you know, I, I can tell already, like, both of our voices are kind of low. A little it's bit kind of, It's sort of, sort of like an NPR kind of thing, you know? <laughs> or just Getting like a, close to the microphone. Like a late night jazz, yes. you know? Yes. Hey, here's a, what's his name? Something Coltrane? John Coltrane. John Coltrane. Yeah. Here's mm-hmm. a little Johnny Coltrane. Cats. <laughs> um, so, uh, but one thing I did want to say is, so this week, uh, David and I were on Comedy Film Nerds with Graham Elwood and Chris Mancini. Uh, they were nice enough to have us on that show, and it was a great deal of fun. So you can find that at ComedyFilmNerds.com, where I actually have written a couple of articles over there. I wrote a review of War Room. Um, I wrote... Uh, uh, let's see. Yeah. Okay. So you still have a couple of days. I wrote, uh, an article about 10, uh, horror movies or at least Halloween themed movies, mm. uh, that are available on Netflix right now. That'll help, you know, put you in the mood for the season. And it's all very, you know, it's fairly eclectic. You know, you have on one side, you have, um, the nightmare, which we've talked yeah. about. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the guest, which we talked about last year, but then you also have the, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, it's pretty varied, but you can find uh, both of those at comedyfilmnerds.com. So, um, and I think that is about it as far as uh, as far as announcements. So we will go ahead and get into the episode before anybody, including me, falls asleep. <laughs> so, all right, 
So I was a little iffy on what we were going to talk about this last uh, this last week. Um, I was I was toying with the idea for a long time of talking about the gift, hmm. uh, written and directed and starring Joel Edgerton, which uh, actually just I believe comes out on Blu-ray this week. Oh really? Um, but uh, but there would have only been a couple of days for people to see it and then we record about it. So uh, so that one's going to have to wait till next year. Something to look forward to, everybody. All right. um, what we decided to go with instead was a film written and directed by M night Shyamalan. No, wait, don't turn it off. Don't turn <laughs> off the episode. Um, this is a movie that I think is very good. It is called the visit. It came out this year about a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago. Um, and when I, so I went to a, a, a critic screening for it and, um, Actually, it was kind of half critic screening, half preview screening, which I have found studios will will do with comedies and horror movies because I think in both cases you have audiences that will react, yeah, uh, either laughter or screams or whatever, um, and you know it it sort of it can color the critics view of the film mm-hmm. to hear audiences react because regardless of what you might think of the film it becomes very clear well this is pretty effective with with an audience so i guess there's something going on there and there's an infectious quality to laughter and screams you know yeah. and so uh so yeah i that's how i saw it and i, I wasn't expecting much um i did not know going in that it was a found footage film huh. um I saw a tra- I think I had seen a trailer, but I think I had turned it off or something like mm-hmm. that. And so I was surprised that that's what it was. Um, it is arguable if it needs to be, that is, that tends to be the case with found footage films. Like, uh, Josh Trank's first feature Chronicle is a very, mm-hmm. very good movie that I think would be better if it wasn't a found footage yeah. film. But, um, but yeah, uh, this one I think works pretty well in that regard. Um, I think M night Shyamalan, uh, makes good use of a subjective camera and uh, uses it to create, to generate laughs, to generate some genuine freak out moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and to just put us in that situation, that, that to me is, is what a found footage film should do. And that's why it works so well with horror is it puts you right in the middle of, of the scares, you know, when the monsters jump out at the characters, they're jumping out at you. Hmm. And so that's when it, when done right, that's how it works. But, um, so, uh, so I can get more into detail about the stuff that I liked because I did like this movie quite a bit. I wrote a favorable review. It's not perfect. There's some major logic flaws. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I really responded to it. Um, I consider it something of a, I'm, I'm reluctant to say this because it's only one movie, but it, it was kind of a return to form for M night Shyamalan in a number of ways, mm. uh, which we'll get to in a moment. But, uh, but yeah, so that was my general reaction as, and my expectation as well. Um, read what, uh, what, what had you heard going into it? And then, uh, what was your general reaction to the film? Well, um, okay. So leading up to it, I had seen a trailer. The trailer intrigued me. But I have not, you know, for me, my history with M. Night Shyamalan actually began prior to Sixth Sense. Uh, Have you ever seen Wide Awake? I have not. Okay. So with Rosie O'Donnell, right? Yeah, Rosie O'Donnell and Dennis Leary. That is a, it's a victim of, okay, just very briefly, uh, Wide Awake is a victim of poor marketing, I think, because it stars Rosie O'Donnell and Dennis Leary. It is billed as this sort of almost a screwball comedy. Okay. And it is 
very much not. It's it's far more dramatic than it is comedic. It's hmm. it's. I saw it because my very first job was at a video store, and one of the perks of the video store is as long as you returned the movie. You know, the next day, you could take whatever you wanted to home for free. And Wide Awake came out the year that I was working there. And uh, I, you know, I didn't know anything about it. I just see on the back of the box that it's about a a fourth grader's search for God. And I was oh, like, wow. I was like, oh, this is interesting to me. I need to, I need to watch this. So I, I took it home. I loved it. I still love it. I adored it. Um, it, it's sweet. It's charming. I had never seen a trailer, so I didn't go in with any sort of expectation. And then, um, like after I saw wide awake, uh, you know, I loved that movie as I, I showed it to my family, friends, you know, told people about it. So then the next year when the sixth sense comes out, yeah, me, I'm sitting here. Oh, that guy who made wide awake. <laughs> Has has made a horror film, and and so like I and so I was everyone else. Everyone is saying like, "Wow, this Sixth Sense movie is really good." It's like, yeah, it's a heck of a follow up to Wide Awake. And people are like, "What are you talking? Who about? are you?" So like, so that was my experience. Because of that, I was just anxious to see this guy who who made this really you know sort of sweet, charming little film uh, about the search for God from a child's perspective that I responded to very well. I was like, I want to see what he does with horror. So I go into Sixth Sense opening weekend, Mm -hmm. no, no inclination whatsoever because it was opening weekend, no inclination whatsoever that there was any sort of surprise coming in the movie. So Sixth Sense blew me away. And immediately with two films, this guy is somebody that I, that I really wanted to watch. And then of course we had Unbreakable and Signs, both of which I loved. I didn't love Signs the first outing, but I've since come to love Signs. Yeah. Um, But then, as many viewers or uh, many listeners probably have the same experience that it's like, then you followed it up with the village and then lady in the water. And there's, there's talked about this sort of steady decline for yeah. him. So the, the reason I set all that up is because the visit for me, when I saw the, the trailer for it, every single time that Shyamalan has made a new movie, there is this, kernel in me that's like maybe, maybe this one would be good yeah. maybe maybe this one will actually be like back to it because I, I love the guy I love the way he makes movies I love the sensibility he brings I love the general subjects that he chooses to explore in his films they all yeah. have an emotional quality most if not all of them have a spiritual quality to them and so there's a lot of things that I really respond to that I feel like I'm just the audience for but of course I hated the happening uh, Lady in the Water has a, a ton of problems I did respond to it emotionally on some levels but but it's got a lot of problems with it uh, After Earth I think was like whatever so I, when The Visit came out and it's starting to get some favorable reviews which is as much as I read. I didn't no. want anything spoiled, but I was like, okay, pe- people seem to like it more than don't like it, mm-hmm. which was unusual for a Shyamalan film. So I went into it and adored it. Absolutely loved it. I don't think it's perfect. I, I, I definitely agree with you. Anybody who would complain about the logic or the formatting or you know any of the other things that I'm sure you're probably going to get to, I'm probably not going to disagree. Yeah. But I laughed several times and I spent a good chunk of the movie, particularly in the latter half with my shirt half over my face, like yeah. really, really genuinely nerve wracked with, with some of the more suspenseful fear stuff. Yeah. Um, I thought it was very effective and I walked out going, I loved this movie. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. Now that's not to say that I think it's a great movie. No. Uh, I would call it probably more really good, but I loved it. Yeah. And you know, you mentioned that 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 kernel of hope 
with M. Night Shyamalan. And I think everybody, every film fan had it because, uh, I mean, obviously we all loved Wide Awake, um, being sarcastic, of course. Um, although I didn't know that's what it was about. That sounds very good. Sounds like a more than one lesson episode. I'll tell you uh, that right now. I love it. You should come over and watch it sometime. Don't, don't tell me what to do. But um, <laughs> the, uh, still one of my favorite jokes. Um, people being so nice, just taking it completely the wrong way. Anyway, I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, everybody responded to Sixth Sense. And then even people that didn't like Unbreakable that much, you can't deny the way the characters are written. You can't deny the general tone, atmosphere, and, yeah. and photography of it. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot going on with signs. And even The Village, which I think had major script issues, mm-hmm. uh, visually is gorgeous. Yes. Especially his use of color in that, I think, works really well. And so... You know, that's a, at the very least, you've got a one, two, three punch. And mm. not everyone loves signs, but even then, they, and I know some people that hate signs and they're factually incorrect, but um, <laughs> the, uh, you can't look at those movies and if it was, if, if Sixth Sense was Sixth Sense and everybody loved it and then everything after that was bad, then it's like, okay, the good one's the, fl- is a fluke. Mm-hmm. But he clearly has such a command of, had, and, and probably still is, such a command of tone and creating atmosphere and just ha- just getting the audience in the palm of his hand so that even the movies you you eventually don't like you know as people again didn't like signs and and I didn't like the village like in the moments when you're supposed to be like glued to the screen you are yeah um he really I mean uh, a lot of people compared him to Hitchcock they say there's a lot of Spielberg in there I think there's a combination of both hmm. uh, and just this feeling of like if you if you create the right tone you can ha- you've got people mm-hmm. you know you, th- there's a there's a word that isn't used very often I feel like um, he has the ability to captivate people mm-hmm. um, which is necessary when making a horror movie or a suspense film or whatever Um so yeah, I think everybody for a long time was hoping that he would come back to things, you yeah. know, uh, come back to what he used to be. And I, and I do feel like this, if the visit, if the visit had come out right after signs yeah. or right after the, the village, let's say that, yeah. um, it would have just, it would have fit right in. I agree. Because he is somebody who can create suspense, but he also is somebody with a very, there's, there's always a theme to his films. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is sometimes it's put out there sometimes pretty overtly, but somehow somehow I don't mind. Yeah. Um, maybe because he makes heightened films, and like with uh, you know the George Romero zombie films, where people will just announce what the theme is. It's like, well, it's in such an extreme situation that I'm right. okay with it. Uh, so maybe it's that, but also he does have he he has a strong sense of the characters he creates, even if they're kind of broad, uh, he layers on these things that even, even if these different character elements are broad, there's a specificity to them that makes the characters feel unique. Um, and then there's the humor. I feel like the visit is basically a horror comedy. I agree. You know, I mean, it is so funny. And I was talking with, uh, as I mentioned back in uh, the Whiplash episode, I was talking at the uh, uh, L.A. Podfest. I was talking with comedian Jimmy Pardo, who was who was, had heard that the film was funny and was fascinating. And it was fascinated to know what people thought was so funny because he didn't consider it that funny. Mm. And and I, I put out a couple of, of ideas about why I thought it was it was funny and and something that I 
that I failed to say at the time, but I think the more I think about it, the more true it, I, I think it is. Um, there are there is such a thing as comic relief, mm. and people often they use that term pretty loosely. But when you think of comic relief, it is you are tense, you are scared, and then something, and then maybe there's like a big scare, and you jump, and you're like really on edge, and then someone will say something or something will happen, and you're like. And you laugh a little bit, oh, and you laugh easily, yeah, because it's a release of tension. It's a relief of tension. Um, but I also think in this film, there's a lot of laugh, uh, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of laughs coming from incredulity, which is people laughing because they can't believe what they're seeing. Right? It's so crazy. So it could be an uncomfortable laugh, or it could be a laugh of like, "What are we going to see next?" Mm. You know, there come oh boy, there comes a moment in the end, which we'll talk about oh. in a moment, where uh, somebody gets something smashed into their face, and people are laughing because yeah. it's yeah. so gross, and you we can't believe what we just saw. Everybody in my theater had a physical. It oh. wasn't all laughter, but we all, myself included, oh, had yeah. a physical reaction to that moment. Oh, I wish I had. I wish this was a video podcast because I oh, oh. I will show you what my reaction was. It was like. Oh yeah. It was just clenched oh, yeah. fists next to my hand, next to my head. Not like I'm about to punch somebody, but because I'm just, I'm so tensed up because of surely this is not going to happen. Oh, no, nope, there it yep, is. Yep. It happened. Um, oh. And so, uh, so I, I think a lot of the laughs, they come from, I think an understanding of, of what audiences need. And I think it's like almost an old school sensibility, which is like, yeah, I guess you could keep people on edge all the time, but then it's not even so much, it's not even necessarily a roller coaster. A roller coaster is you go up, you go down. And every time you're going up, that's a relief, you know, mm. it's, but it's a relief mixed with anticipation. And I think this is a film that from a humor standpoint, you're laughing, but you also know that in a moment you could choke on that laughter. Cause here comes something else being thrown yeah. at these characters. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just such a, and, and for those that haven't seen it, and I, and I don't recommend listening to this if you haven't seen the film, um, and it should still be in theaters, but also it did fairly well, so I, I wouldn't be yeah. surprised if, if people had already seen it. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it's these two kids go to see their grandparents for the first time in their lives. Um, their mother uh, had an argument with her parents many, many years ago and did not really want to see them, did not want to keep up with them, and so but then her parents contact her and say, we'd like to meet our grandchildren. So she sends her children to stay with her grandparents for a week. And once they get there, they find that, uh, that Nana and pop pop are not, uh, are behaving a little bit strange at times. Mm -hmm. They're a little cold at times. They're a little aggressive at times. And the longer the visit goes, the, the stranger things get and yes. the more dangerous things get, or are they dangerous? Who knows? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that's one of the many things that this film explores is that a lot of the things that we would view as freaky or uncomfortable or tense is just the nature of aging. Yeah. You know, like whether it be dementia or or the the type of confusion that, that an older person can sometimes have. Yeah. Um you know, I think that is definitely a f something that is explored um, at first sensitively and then maybe not as it, <laughs> right. as it continues. But uh, anyway, so I've, I've uh, been talking for 
for a while about uh, the humor and about it, the use of of tension and stuff. Uh, what exactly did you love about the movie so much? Uh, well, I, th- I think the biggest thing that I loved was I loved the fact that it was able to elicit reactions from me that I didn't have to force. When I laughed, I, it wasn't courtesy. And when I was f- afraid, I, I mean, I was by myself, mm-hmm. in, you know, obviously in a, in a semi-crowded theater, I was, I was say maybe a third full. Um, so, I, but I, you know, I, I saw it by myself and I, I had these just, you know, a lot of reactions that I love having when I, they were just natural reactions, which is part of what I just love it when a film engages me and elicits things from me that make me stop um, analyzing the film while I'm seeing it. Mm-hmm. I have to do all of my analysis at the end because yeah. while I'm watching it, I'm with these characters in this moment and all I care about is how this scene is going to resolve. Yeah. And when a film can really take me away like that, I'm impressed because it's actually, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily difficult to do that for me right. these days, but it's difficult to shut the analysis off. I'm constantly looking at, and that doesn't mean I enjoy films less. In fact, yeah. I think as, as I've heard you say before that I think it helps me enjoy them more and mm-hmm. definitely enjoy certain aspects of them even more. But when a film can just really sweep me up, then I, I just enjoy that. And the fact I would say probably if I were to get very specific about my very favorite genre, it is horror with a, with a comedy flavor or uh, sort of uh, a comedy that has some macabre elements mm-hmm. to it. I, I love that. And it's actually really difficult to do that well. Yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, Shaun of the Dead does that superbly. Yeah. Um, that's a, a great example of it. So I loved the fact that it blended horror and comedy, I thought, very effectively. Um, I did also love gener- something um, that I will be sensitive to some people, what you described about the um, the components of strangeness in the way Nana and Pop Pop are acting being um, sort of like, you know, just characteristic of growing older. Some people found that offensive. Um, some people that I, and not necessarily anybody that I really spoke to, because I honestly didn't speak to that many people in person who, who saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, some of the like message boards and stuff like that, they found that distasteful. And for me... My take on it was that I was like that. I did. I didn't ever feel like this was some sort of cheap exploitation of the the qualities of aging. Right. I felt like this is this this is naturally yeah. something that I think everybody inherently like. If anybody if anybody is afraid of growing old, they're afraid of some of the things that they see on display in Nana and Papa. Oh, absolutely. And and again, because this is a a found footage film then that means we are very much in the position and maybe even the mindset of the main characters. And what do we have? We have two younger oh, people. Yeah. Not Like, you know, when you're a grown-up, uh, you know, you see your own grandparents. You know, I, I've seen my own grandfather, you know, get Alzheimer's. And thankfully, he, he didn't live for years with it. He lasted about eight months. And then mm. and he didn't get super bad towards the end. But he was there was some stuff there that was like really uncomfortable yeah. and, um, and, and was sad. It was very tragic. And, and one thing, and if you've seen Alzheimer's, even if even uh, kind of a low level of it, which is, which I saw, um, there's a little thing that you say, which is, boy, I hope I die before that happens, yes. you know, mm-hmm. because the thing that I, one thing that I say is just like, I, I saw what my grand, my uh, grandpa was going through mm-hmm. and I did have this thought. It's like, 
eh, you know, maybe my dad didn't have it so bad dying at 50 quickly mm. before his mind started to go. Now, obviously, uh, there's a 34-year difference between uh, right, the deaths right. there. So uh, I would prefer to not die at age 50, but uh, 75 isn't awful. <laughs> I can live with 75, um, uh, especially if anything over that or or over a certain age means that my personality starts to go or mm. my ability to control any number of things right. starts to go. And it's, I think, so you have the, but I'm a, I'm an adult, you're an adult. We have seen this in our everyday lives. Yeah. Children don't necessarily see that. Right. And if they do, it's, it is very, oh, it's, it can be very unnerving mm. and, um, and, and maybe even a little bit creepy. So I think the, I don't think it's exploitative. I think it, it captures the tone of the two main characters and the way they're seeing this. And I think it captures, regardless of what people might think, we, we can be sympathetic towards the idea of aging and because we, we understand that it's a natural part of living, but I think everybody's afraid of it. I think yeah. whether it be uh, losing your hair or your teeth falling out mm-hmm. or uh, becoming incontinent or losing right. your uh, your personality, or not losing your mind, not going crazy, but like, you know, losing your memory a little bit and, yeah. and getting confused about things and not being able to drive anymore. Just all the things that make you like an independent adult right. starts to fall away over the years. Mm-hmm. And that is a, that's a creepy thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the film captures that. I don't think it exploits it. I don't think it's necessarily, you know, I do think after a certain point, some of the, once it's revealed that these characters are not merely old, right. um, that a lot of, and that their behavior can't necessarily be put down simply to that. Um, then I think an argument could be made that if there's any expectation, exploitation because I know people have a problem with this too. If there's any exploitation, it's that it's the idea of craziness. And I even saying craziness, just the idea of the mentally ill Mm -hmm. because we think we're, we're watching, uh, and everybody's spoilers. Uh, this is, it's an M night Shyamalan film. There are twists to it and stuff like that. So if you haven't seen it, you know, sorry, you've Um, been warned. Yeah. Uh, we think we're watching a film where, you know, these characters age is the issue. It's not, it's that they are mentally ill. Yeah. And, and I would say the type of mental illness they have, except it doesn't specify. It's just kind of the generic mental illness, which I think sort of gives M night Shyamalan carte blanche to just have them act however strange he wants them to act. Yeah. The only, condition that I think the film identifies at all well besides incontinence mm-hmm. is that condition called sundowning right where the the change in gravitational fields between the sun and the moon causes yeah. you to to behave differently right but it's but after a while once they've been off their meds for a while and 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 free of the uh, the institute the mental institution that they were a part of um, you know, it's not a it's not a situation where uh, where Nana is only off when the sun goes down. Like after yeah. a while, they're both uh, you know twenty four hours a day. They're they are in bad shape and they're very frightening and stuff like that. So, uh, so I have heard people say that this is a film that that makes light of and is exploitative of the idea of mental illness. And if and I think there's an argument to be made there. Hmm. However. And don't get me wrong, like I, I don't like the idea of making light of that. 
but it is a horror movie, mm-hmm. a horror comedy, no less. And I'm willing to forgive things like that. You yeah. know, it's, it's just like what I, what I, what is infinitely worse to me is if they wanted to make a drama, you know, just a very, like an Oscar bait type drama. And, and they decide to write somebody as just sort of a generic mentally ill person. Mm-hmm. Um, and you wind up with something like, what's his name? Uh, simple Jack from uh, Tropic Thunder or oh, something like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I remember I read, uh, I read the original script of Rain Man before mm-hmm. Barry Levinson and Dustin Hoffman started working on it. Oh, wow. The depiction of autism in that could not be more ham-fisted, could not be more cheesy, and could not be more, I think, disrespectful to actual autistic people or anybody with any kind of mental uh, disability. And so um, Dustin Hoffman and Barry Levinson went to work on that script and changed the character of Raymond completely. And yeah. then, of course, the film wins Best Original Screenplay, yeah, even yeah. Th- and it's the guy that gets the Oscar, not them, even wow. though his script is bad. Wow, that's interesting. It I don't is, think I ever knew that. Yeah, it's really fascinating. And so I think there are plenty, and then movies like I Am Sam, which, I, mm-hmm. uh, which you know what? I didn't see. And, I saw it. And Sean Penn got an Oscar nomination for it, and mm-hmm. that is the one that is uh, referenced in um, Tropic Thunder. Mm-hmm. Uh, just... Cause he goes full on and it feels that feels more exploitative to me than a, than a something like horror using that as just kind of a catalyst for, for the, the scares and the creepiness yeah. and stuff like that. Well, and it also, it, cause there's a cynicism to it, I think, yeah which is just like, okay, if we just have this, we'll get our Oscars and stuff like that. Yeah. And I, I totally agree with you. I think there's a, there's kind of a subconscious sensibility that, well, I think sometimes people regard if they're sensitive to certain subjects, then they're going to consider those subjects taboo sure. for exploration, for Absolutely. artistic exploration. And one of the things that I would, would argue is the difference between like something like The Visit and something in, uh, let's say, just a, just a lowbrow comedy is that I do feel like The Visit is trying to say something. I don't know that it's necessarily trying to make a statement about mental illness or even about aging, but I do right. think it's trying to say something about relationship. Mm-hmm. And if, if, if there's anything that could completely impact your, your level of relationship with the people that you're close to, it yeah. could be time and losing your sense of self. Yeah. And so while I'm not going to sit here and say that Shyamalan's trying to make some deep thesis about, about these subjects, I think there's a, like I said, a subconscious quality that allows for some exploration in areas that might be a bit taboo in other settings. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, I think, uh, by, by having characters mistake genuine insanity, Mm -hmm. malevolent insanity, no less for simple aging, I feel like that speaks a great deal to the way we view aging, which Mm -hmm. is just like, like it's just sort of a catch all for dismissing if some, like somebody could be in serious trouble. I don't mean like they're in danger from someone else, but like right. an older person could be 
feeling genuinely like depressed or something like that. Mm-hmm. They could have some actual problems in their life and people might dismiss that because like, oh, you're just old. Yeah. You know, I mean, that it's said a couple of times in the film that like when the kids are saying, hey, there's something wrong with Na- uh, Nana and Pop Pop. And that could have to do, you know, at the time they're simply talking about their behavior. Like, hey, there's something wrong with them. I think we should get them help. Yeah. And then moms and then the mom simply says, look, they're old. Yeah. You know? And so I think there is an element of like the way we dismiss, like when we see something like that, one of the reasons that we might dismiss is because we don't want to engage with the, with it because it's a thing that might happen to us eventually. So we'd rather just dismiss it and not think about it. And so, um, and so in that sense, the more, the crazier Nana and pop pop are, the more poignant it is when that their behavior is simply dismissed as, oh, they're old, right. you know? Um, so yeah, but I, uh, but I absolutely agree with you. Like one of the great things about horror and I actually think about comedy is that because everything is a little bit heightened, it does allow you to go into, um, into subjects that previously would, people would consider like inappropriate or taboo yeah. or mm-hmm. something like that. So, um, which by the way, once again, is the thing that I say from time to time, this is, that is why we do Halloween times because this is a genre that Christians often say there's nothing you can do. It's, it's demonic. Uh, sometimes even the celluloid is demonic um, and it's irredeemable and there's, yeah. you know, we don't want to put that kind of stuff in our head. And while there's plenty of uh, crap horror out there, the genre allows people to do things. We I think I said this at the end of the Babadook episode, like it allows a filmmaker if they want to, it allows them to explore things in a way inconceivable uh in other genre Mm -hmm. and so um so yeah uh, a couple of of specifics um about the film that i that i really uh responded to um i think the performances in general Uh, m night Shyamalan always gets good performances uh from his actors and i think he specifically has i don't know if i'd say he writes younger people in a realistic way or he just writes them in an interesting way Cause I don't, when I look at the younger characters in his films, I don't know if I'd say, I feel like I'm looking at a real life young person. I don't think that's the case, yeah. but I'm looking at people that are interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. And then he directs the actors in a way that may, that sells it, Yeah, you know? And so when I look at, uh, Olivia, Olivia, uh, De Jong or De Young, I don't know. And Ed Oxenbold, <laughs> seems weird that like a 12, 13 year old kid would be Ed Oxenbold. It sounds like, you know, a, a construction foreman, but, um, uh, I think they both do really well. I think, uh, Ed Oxenbold specifically not to cast, uh, aspersions on, on Olivier, Olivia, pardon me, De Young. I don't know. I, I would probably say De Jong, but, De Jong? I, but, okay. I, but I might be incorrect there. Um, I don't mean to speak ill of her, but I think because she's more of a lead, she has to be a little bit more reserved and more straightforward. Whereas he yeah. has the freedom to be more funny and silly. Yeah. And, and he all, he clearly has most of the punchlines. Yeah. Like he, he's of, of any of the characters. There's funny things happen to each of the characters and because of each of the characters, but he clearly has yeah. the, the comedic center of the film. But the two of them do have a nice chemistry as well. Mm-hmm. They do feel like a brother and sister. Um, the way that they are talking about and, and the way that they talk about their parents' divorce, the way they talk about the uh, Nana and Pop-Pop and the, the danger that they're in, 
uh, but then the way that they can joke around, like it all, fe- there's a, there's a, you know, I, I forget. Do you have any uh, siblings? Yes. Okay. Yes. So like I just went to Denver uh, a few weeks ago and, and stayed with my brother and, you know, he and I had a few late night conversations and there's just, when you're talking with a sibling, there's a shorthand there. Mm-hmm. There's an understanding and these two have it. They, it, I feel like, uh, when one person mentions dad and you see the look on the other person's face, yeah, they know what the person's talking about as opposed to if I were to talk to you about my mom or my dad, right. you would you might be able to relate to it. You might be as a function of your own parents, but you won't know exactly who I'm talking about. And I feel like that, that can come through if you're not character, if if you're not careful, I've seen characters in films that are supposed to be husband and wife or father and son or brother and sister or whatever. And it doesn't come through. Yeah, it does here. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think they have a nice chemistry together. Um, the stuff that M night Shyamalan gives, uh, Ed Oxenbold, whose character's name is incidentally Tyler. Um, the stuff that he gives him to do could be seen as silly. Yeah. And often it is, uh, you know, like he'll rap about things and then he'll do something that I could, I feel like can't be more of an M night Shyamalan type of thing that rather than swear, he will say the names of like pop artists (laughs) and it's a recurring joke. And that is the kind of thing that could become so annoying if played wrong. Yeah. But he plays it just right. Like this kid has a really nice timing. Yes. And I thought he did a great job. Um, so also I would like to talk about, so Nana and pop up. So Deanna Dunnigan and Peter McRobbie, uh, play Nana and pop up. Um, I have seen Peter McRobbie in a number of things. He's, I don't know what happened. Uh, but like two years ago, I don't know what he was in, but he's showing up in a lot of things. Now. Really? Hmm. He was in Inherent Vice. He was just in Bridge of Spies and a wow. really good performance, by the way. Did you see Bridge of Spies? Yet? I haven't seen it yet. No, I want to. He's in one scene, but it's a great scene. Wow. He's hmm. the head of the CIA, basically. Oh, okay. Um, and so, uh, but they both do a really good job. They both, and I think they might have a tough time too, because they have to seem scary, but also harmless yeah. and funny without being too funny because you can't because if you make them too funny then they're not intimidating anymore right but they need to be that and they both cap they both do a great job and and they both are they bring a different quality like he seems like a no-nonsense type a guy who's quiet and see and is kind of gentle but also is just like He's, he's not an emotional guy, whereas Nana definitely is. Oh, yeah. And when you look at the, the difference between the two of them, uh, they both bring different elements into, uh, into this home. And one thing that I think absolutely deserves mention is that uh, Deanna Dunnigan, the way she's made up, could not look more like Lillian Gish in Night of the Hunter. Yes. Oh, yeah. I think I mean, that, that had to be intentional. I have to assume so, yes. Be- yeah, because, I mean, one of the things that, uh, you know, people probably don't necessarily suspect because of the type of films he makes is Shyamalan is clearly a classic film fan. Oh, no like, question. Uh, he did, like, I have a, a, a DVD edition of Strangers on a Train by Alfred Hitchcock in which Shyamalan makes the mini documentary about it. Oh, awesome. Um, and, and so like, and he's constantly referencing and throwing back to, to mm-hmm. old, uh, stylistic choices and, and old things that he loves about like classic 
horror films, um, well, and classic cinema in general. So I have to believe he's a fan of Night of the Hunter, the way she looked. Yeah, I mean, I almost feel like if you're a film director at all, you there are certain films that, with, with even a slight genre leaning, I feel like you have to have an understanding of like the, the movies that came before, and he absolutely does. Yeah. Um, and also, and it's just, I, I feel like, whether in the collective unconscious or whatever, because uh, I, I, I doubt a lot of people have seen Night of the Hunter, but for those that have, you either are consciously aware of the comparison or you're unconsciously aware of it. And when you think of Lillian Gish, you think of somebody who's a protector, mm-hmm. somebody who is a comforter, all of, and somebody who's very sensitive mm-hmm. and fr- and kind of frail, but still strong. And so when you see Nana and, and you just see like, just the 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 look of when you first meet her, like the look of love on her face, yeah, um, and a desire to to you know cook for these children and 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 take care of them. Like you you feel like that's genuine, mm-hmm. um, and it is to a point. <laughs> um, well, they definitely desperately want them to be happy. <laughs> oh, unquestionably. Um, and then lastly, I do want to talk about uh, Catherine Hahn, who. Uh, we, I don't think we ever, I think only once we officially see like in the same physical space as the characters. Um, no, I guess, I guess early on when she, when she's taken yeah. into the train and, or, or the bus Which I or actually thought the train moment was really, really nice. Oh yeah. Like, it and felt I think, very real. And that was one of the things that when I, when I saw that train moment where it's just, it's a simple touch. And I think that was the, actually the scene that put me at ease in the movie because after seeing so many poor films from him, I was, uh, well, I say so many, like three or four poor films in a row. And then I come into this and I'm like, okay, what is he going to do? They're packing up to leave, blah, blah, blah. But when she says goodbye to them at the train, yeah. and I was genuinely touched by the actress's choice and his yeah. choice for how to stage that scene, I was like, this is this might be really good. This This could be good. It makes you wonder where these instincts went right? for so long. Mm-hmm. If he had this inside him, I don't know. What, is it a recent development? Is it in rea- like? Is it a film that he had been wanting to make for a while and then wasn't able to? I, and why yeah, is I he able know. to make it now? I don't know. But um, but yeah, it's just instincts like that which speak, which which help to create an, a firm foundation of like emotional resonance. Yes. Um, I feel like uh, I don't know. It's it's a really good instinct in Catherine Hahn, who's a, who I think of primarily as a comedic actress. Um, she has a tough job because she has to be the adult that doesn't believe the kids, but we're still on her side. And at the very end, she's the one that has to underline the theme of the film. Yeah. And she has to do it believably. And that's tough. That's a tough role to play. Uh, because especially at the end, it's an, an inherently dramatic role. And this mm-hmm. is a comedic actress primarily, and she does a great job with it. So her scenes work really well for me. Yeah. Um, so, so I guess we can talk about the twist, um, even though it's, to me it's not that, uh, thematically it's not that big of a deal, but it's just this idea of, um, first off, I do like how much the, set, the, the twist is set up over the course of the film. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I did have the, at first I thought I knew the twist, but I couldn't. There are things I couldn't get out of my mind, like, mm-hmm. and it turns out that this Nana and Pop Pop are not actually uh, the the kids' actual grandparents. That yeah. they are, in fact, two escaped uh, 
mental patients that the grandparents worked with at the mental institution and they killed them and then took their place, uh, counting on the grandchildren's lack of knowledge or unawareness of what they look like. To be able to assume these roles, yeah. which by the way, when that came like in general, I, I think you and I have talked about this off mic that just the, like, I don't, I don't love the term twist anymore. Right. Um, I, I mean, it works and it, that's, and it's something that whenever people say it, like I immediately know what they're talking about. Yeah. But the reason I don't love it is because especially with M night Shyamalan films, people will tell me, Oh, I knew that right away. And I, I don't disbelieve them. You know, yeah. it's like, as like, no, I, I get it. I, I you could, I, I would believe that somebody in the first 20 minutes of this movie might be like, that's not their real grandparents. And, and I would be like, okay, yeah, sure. It never dawned on me. <laughs> like, I, I, I thought it was it. that, but then what got me was that like, they were standing at the train station with the kids, with a sign with the kids names on it. I was just like, how could complete strangers know that? But then it's like, oh, but they're not complete strangers. They had contact with the grandparents. Right. And then they were envious of this thing and they yeah. wanted it. Which that's actually, yeah, I mean, since we've already spoiled that component, that's the that's the real scheme here is yeah. that they have murdered these children's grandparents and assumed their identities for the pure reason of they want to sort of play house for a week and yeah. pretend that they have this life that they don't. Yeah. And for me, when that when that revelation came around, when that surprise happened, I w- I kept expecting. I don't know why, but his his twists or his surprises have never really been that sinister that right. I can recall. Like like I mean they they've. I mean, it's more. Is there okay? Let me ask you this: Is there a difference between a twist and a reveal? Like, I think so. Okay, because I feel like his. I feel like they're more reveals what he does. I, I completely agree with you. And I like the way you put that because that I think a twist would be kind of like an unreliable narrator. Mm-hmm. Like a twist is the kind of thing where the film has been constantly feeding us information that then the film later tells us is false. Yeah. So usual suspects is a twist. Usual suspects is a twist. Yeah. Um, because there are, there are liars in that movie mm-hmm. that you, and, and ironically I have yet to call a Shyamalan twist except for the village. I called the village from I saw it before I saw it. Yeah, yeah. I called it before I even saw the film too. But the, uh, but usual suspects, oddly, I was like, huh, maybe that's what's going on. And I was right. It was, it was a really weird moment for me. But besides that, I do think Usual Suspects is a good example of a twist. Mm-hmm. Whereas with him, like, it, it, he's not constantly reinforcing to you like, oh, no, it's not this thing. It's yeah. not this other thing. Yeah. Um, it, it just happens to like, okay, spoilers for Sixth Sense if there's anybody who doesn't already know this. But like, you could you could watch the film and, and they have a have little montage at the end. You realize like... Oh, yeah, they never really told us he wasn't dead. Yeah. It's entirely possible. In fact, they said when they were making Sixth Sense that there's a couple of scenes where the producers were worried they were giving the whole thing away because of the way the shots were staged. Yeah. You know, so he doesn't really, it doesn't really feel to me as a filmmaker like he's fighting hard to hide the reality of it. Every single time the kids in the visit say there's something wrong with Nana and Pop-Pop, you as a, as a discerning viewer might sit there and go, well, yeah, maybe they're not your real grandparents, you yeah. know? But um, I was just not, I kept feeling like for whatever reason that there was going to be, I, okay, no, I think I know the reason. Because the film, 
and I know we'll be talking about this more in depth, so I'll just touch on it briefly here. But like, it, because the film has an underbelly of uh, forgiveness and reconciliation mm-hmm. as its emotional core, I kept thinking this twist is going to be something that will ultimately bring everybody together. Mm-hmm. Relationships will be restored, and everything will be, um, you know, everything will work out well. And yeah. the, the 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 daughter's Becca's mission mm-hmm. to reconcile her mom with her grandparents is going to be successful. Right. So when that reveal happened. I was emotionally unprepared for how sinister that turn was and for the fact they're like, oh, no, these kids are actually in mortal danger. Like, they're about to be killed. And there's an element for me. Yeah, because I I don't mean to say I don't mean to be insulting or anything, but it's almost like to call it a twist is to cheapen it a little bit because there are emotional consequences to this to this reveal. Yes. The emotional consequences. It's like they're never going to know their grandparents. That yes. that ship yeah. has sailed. Right. It's right. not as the. It's not a situation where uh, you know they have them tied up in the basement and they've been starving, so they're in bad shape. But like, okay, we got to get rid of these two people, and then we can go on with our lives. It's that this thing is the the possibility for reconciliation has been cut off. It's done now. So now yeah. it's about like, okay, now we need to protect ourselves. But my my goals. Uh, you know, to get my mo- my mother to reconcile with her her parents, that's that's literally impossible. These two people have kept that from happening, and so there's the fear, but there's also just the the letdown of like, oh my gosh, like mm-hmm. innocent people are dying here, yeah. and and there is this this feeling that the film wants you to have of like of where you don't feel fulfilled, you don't feel satisfied yeah. because you thought you were going to get this thing. It's like there's odd things happening, but I'm sure if we get Nana and Pop-Pop the right help, we've got it. Yeah. And then, no, you yeah. don't get it. You do not get what you want. Yeah, the thought that just struck me when you said that, and it's actually it's actually a really tragic thought, but uh, when Becca first meets her grandparents is when she stumbles across their bodies, which is, a, that's, mm-hmm. that's a horrifying thing. To yeah. I, I just love the way you put it, that there are emotional consequences to yeah. what's really happening here, um, which again speaks to why I don't consider the film exploitative, because I yeah. feel like it's, it's definitely um, tapping into something genuine as far as emotional weight and yeah. emotional um, stakes. See, and I feel like that's the, that's, so okay, let's 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 look at Shyamalan's films. Okay, Six Sense is a reveal because mm. let, here's here's how I'm going to characterize it, and I, I can't swear, so unfortunately, <laughs> um, a twist. There's there's like oh man, yeah. Mm-hmm. A reveal is oh man, yeah. And okay. I know okay, twi- the the reveal in Six Sense. Oh man, like yeah. now you're blown away because of what has just been revealed. But when you but you realize that, like, oh my gosh, there are emotional consequences to this that yeah. I, that have been playing out the whole time, and I didn't even realize it. Yes, Unbreakable, I think, is a twist. The twist being, we now know who Mister Glass is, mm-hmm. and there aren't there's not much of an emotional consequence to that. There's yeah. a plot consequence, there's an intellectual consequence, but there's not an emotional one. So I think there's right. a, oh man, I didn't realize the movie I was watching. I'm yeah. watching a superhero movie and didn't even know it. Signs were dealing with his dead wife mm-hmm. and the reveal of God's work in his, in his life. Yeah. And that one's like, oh man, I was wrong this whole time. God does care. There yeah. is a plan. 
Mm-hmm. There's a twist in the village. I agree with that. Village is unquestionably a twist. Yeah. And so, uh, and then I didn't see the happening. Um, the happening is, well, here's the deal. The happening is, is neither a twist nor a reveal. It's more of a flop. Mm-hmm. The happening, I mean, honestly, like the, the, uh, there's also the third option of the cop out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like that. That's okay. the happening. The happening I've given two chances. I saw it in the theater and hated it. I said, you know what? I've always loved his films. Let me give it a second shot. I hated it even more the second time I saw it. So, I mean, I hate the happening. Um, yeah, it doesn't, it, it, it's not even really a surprise, even if you don't know mm-hmm. what's happening. <laughs> Watch out. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just a nothing. Yeah. Um, After Earth also has really nothing. Mm-hmm. There's, there's really no like surprise at the end of it. I mean, honestly, if anybody thought there was a twist at the end of After Earth, I'd like you to explain it to me because mm-hmm. honestly, that I don't even think that the plot has one. Um, and Lady in the Water, like whatever, maybe there's a maybe it's a twist, maybe it's a reveal. I'm not quite sure because it's just kind of because. <laughs> well, yeah, we don't we're not talking about Lady in the Water, but boy, we're not. <laughs> but the uh, but yeah, I mean, I I do agree with the characterization where I think um, that if you if you have a, kind of a layer. And maybe maybe it could be characterized also plot versus character, although that might disqualify the unbreakable um, qualifier. But it's like if something's happening to the plot that is um, you know uh, that you're unaware of, then that might be more of a twist. But if something's happening to one of the characters that you didn't realize that's the condition of this character or that that's the circumstance for this character, then that might be more of a real. I, th- I think but, that's a. I think that's a. I think that's correct. I think the the the, the twist in Unbreakable uh, is is more of a plot twist right. than, a, than a character reveal or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. There is a there is a reveal of character, but it's not the protagonist. Oh, that's true. And yeah. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's interesting to to look at that because mm-hmm. um, you know when you think of something like Psycho. That is a twist, but it's also a reveal because Norman has become our protagonist. Yes. Um, but yes, and there are definite emotional, definite emotional con- uh, consequences to that. Yeah. But um, and it's, yeah, it's an interesting subject to to like further get into about uh, which you know we probably don't have to now, but just the the idea of they think that certain genres have to have twists. Like what's yeah. interesting is I think Shyamalan often gets pigeonholed the same way the twilight zone does mm-hmm. whereas they just people oh well it's it's this so there's going to be a, a twist at the end and it's like well n- not always not yeah. necessarily like i don't even know like i definitely think signs has a distinct reveal that sure. you are supposed to be uh enlightened by but i don't even necessarily classify that as the same kind of reveal as six sense or yeah no like no, way. no way. it's not to the level of oh you never knew that this was that yeah. this was going on um and uh, the visit for me was uh, m- more akin to the sixth sense, where I was yeah. just like, "Oh yeah, I, it feels like it should be obvious to me yeah. that they weren't real, but it, or you know they're real people, but that they weren't the real grandparents." But it just never dawned on me, and I remember feeling genuinely frightened. I, it's, it was just weird. As part of my love for the movie is that it 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 had me already, and then when they when they reveal like, oh no, there's no, there's no light at the end of this tunnel. Like these guys are bad. Well, and there's, there's also this thing of like, as long as there's, as long as they're actual blood relatives, it's like they might be doing crazy things, but they don't want to. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously the, the, the 
actual characters don't want to be don't want to be crazy but mm. um but just like if they hurt the kids they will regret it they will hate that mm-hmm. because they are blood relatives the minute they reveal that that is not the case that there is not that link that these are basically just strangers um that's when it's just like they can kill them with impunity with emotional impunity yes like they they won't feel it at all yeah. There's the potential that they won't feel it at all. And even when there's a little, the little moment when uh, pop up smashes that thing into Tyler's face, <sighs> what does he say right behind, right before it? He says, I never liked you anyway. Yeah. Which is a weird, like it's, it's such an interesting line to put in that, especially it's, it's more devastating if it turns out they're actually their grandparents, but it's not, it's more just, they so badly wanted this to work. They yeah. wanted these wonderful grandkids. And then he just says this horrible thing. I never liked you anyway. As, as if to say, I killed for this and all I got was you. Take this. Oh, man. Um, and it's just like, it, it really is emotionally devastating to the point that when Tyler eventually loses his loses his mind, oh yeah, and goes after Pop Up, there were there was cheering in the theater. Mine too, you know, and, and part of it was for me. I love sure, that. Oh, sure, I mean, and I and, and that's one thing that if somebody were to to criticize his verbalizations during that scene, mm-hmm. I would agree. Like, okay, it's a little cheesy, but I was right there with him. I yeah. was like, oh, this this is a kid who's been so crippled and and frozen by fear of so many things. You know, not even just the German phobia that we already that is heightened throughout the film which i think you said something when we were talking about it it's like f- to have what happens to him happen you don't have to be a germaphobe for it's that right to be, be disgusting yeah it's like, it's like if i were to if if i did that to you or someone did that to me i'd be traumatized no matter what yeah, no i don't have to have a, a thing with germs Ugh. but when he finally oh when he rescue when he goes for it ends up rescuing his sister and taking out the the biggest threat by doing so i just i was just like this is this is fantastic and yeah i i i I think i did my fair share of cheering at the same time now that i think about i think i think he does say you have a thing about a thing with germs and then he smashes it in his face i don't remember at what point he says i never liked you anyway but it was right around it's before he changes his little oh okay yeah yeah yeah, he's he says He says, I never liked you, then moves around to the corner to, uh, yeah. to change. <laughs> and yeah. then, and then he comes back and you have a thing with germs. Yeah. Yeah. So <sighs> it's, it's, you know, it's all kind of of a piece there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, that, I mean, that climax is very harrowing and mm-hmm. very tense and, you know, not to, not to, uh, minimize the, the Nana scene either. You know, where that she's scene is terrifying. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, the first real scare of the film is when they're under the house and Nana's under there too. Yeah. I was unprepared. <laughs> I was not ready for, I wasn't ready for it to happen that early. Yeah, like I was yeah. expecting that type of development to come about later, like right, maybe right. 20 minutes later, mm-hmm. but no, it's, it's right there. Oh my and it is goodness creepy as hell oh yeah i mean there were there were times where like and i got really i think you're right that like i just was completely 
unprepared for how frightening this was going to be yeah. uh, for me. I just I just got more scared than I was than I was really ready for because yeah. when she's when she's crawling around under that basement and like most of most of my theater were like what yeah <laughs> like you know you just and the the look of her with her hair down straight down in front of her face. I mean she looked she it, it reminded me maybe this was intentional maybe not it reminded me of like the ring oh yeah absolutely um, where you know you see this menacing you know figure with the hair completely obscuring the face coming after you and it's the way she's she's not crawling crawling is a human thing like she's i don't mean to say that she's not a human because she's mentally ill but what i'm saying is like it seems almost supernatural she almost seems to be galloping like an animal yeah yeah um which moving way fast yeah so like with the hair over her face and then the way she is moving and the speed with which she is moving it just seems like and you're just stuck under that house with her like and it's so horrifying yeah and the things that she's saying too which you later find out to be part of the game yeah. but the things she's saying i'm gonna get you i'm gonna get i'm like oh my yeah. goodness it's so creepy and at that point you have no idea uh really what's i think honestly like the things that pop hop did were more sort of disturbing Mm-hmm. And the things that Nana did were more frightening to me. Sure. Like, like the the one genuine scream. I did a lot of little like, uh, uh, but the one the one time I genuinely screamed was the night that they leave the camera out. Oh, okay. And you didn't see that coming. I didn't. Oh, wow. I didn't. I knew there was going to be. I knew something was about to happen. Yeah. But I didn't. You know, I, I just when she when that big jump happens, like yeah. I, it, it just really affected me. And then, by the way followed up yeah. with her grabbing the butcher knife and yeah. knocking outside of their door. I was yeah, I was so tense through so much of the last half of that movie. Yeah. Um no, I mean it, it, her scenes are really terrifying and then yeah the 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 stuff with her and and, and the uh, Becca in in the bedroom. Yeah. Uh, uh the the constant like little hide and seek game, but in a, in a perimeter of about maybe five to six feet. Yeah. And I was just, Oh, and, and that's the thing. Somebody, and that by the way is when found footage is done right. Because, you know, it's so often it's just like, Oh, if we, if we just do this, it'll be scary. It's like, no, no, no. The, what makes it scary? I'll repeat it. What makes it scary is that they're na- the, the villain or the monster or whatever you want to say, it's coming after us now. Yes. And when you make the camera a necessity, when mm-hmm. you make it a, a, just a prop or just something like that, as it, as will always happen, it felt like that in Blair Witch. It feels like that in this a little bit where yeah. it's just like, come on, turn off the camera. This is ridiculous. Right. But in that moment, it's like, I need the light of the camera. Exactly. And the, and, a camera light's not going to provide you with much light, by the way. No. Nope. So it's just like the camera becomes necessary. It becomes like vital. In fact, if you're going to do well at all, mm-hmm. um, but also the limitations of the camera mm-hmm. and the fact that we are limited by that just as much as the character, yeah. um, you know, it's just, that is found footage done right. It was terribly effective. Yeah. yeah terribly effective. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I really think that, I mean, obviously like anybody who's listening to this and hasn't seen it because they're like, Oh, I don't care if the visit is spoiled for me. Like it's it, honestly, there's some really good moments in this yeah. of, of genuine, like I'm a, I'm a big horror fan yeah. and there were moments in this that I think are among some of the best, scare tactics that I've seen done in film. There was, you know, there's some stuff that it's like, okay, like you said, that, that moment the night camera was left out, 
should have been obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were still just, I mean, w- w- it combines situational fear with actual uh crafts craftsmanship of yeah. how to make this more frightening yeah. uh, than it already is. It's, it's great. And that's why I think it's a return to form for him. Yeah. Just, yeah. The humor, the command of tone and just, yeah. Like no, just knowing instinctively like, okay, this situation is, is frightening, but what can, what can I add? You know, mm-hmm. the, the under the, the under the house sequence, scary in and of itself. So what can I add? Okay, hair over the face. We don't see her face. We just mm-hmm. see this, essentially a creature coming after her. Yeah. Got it. Like little moments like that, that just up the creepiness of it. Mm-hmm. You know, he has an instinct for that. I'm excited to see what he does next. Yeah. Um, I hope that this like is the beginning of like some kind of renaissance for him. Man, I would love um, that. It oh, would, would be marvelous. Um, so, uh, I'll go ahead and bring up the uh, the companion film mm-hmm. now. Uh, it's not an obvious companion film, um, and I'm okay with that. It's it's a film that kind of it felt tonally right to me. Mm. Um, and I'm talking about, although now I don't have the name in front of me, and I never remember the name of the director. It is George Wagner's The Wolfman in 19 the one that came out in 1941. 41. Written by Kurt Siodmak, who incidentally anything you know about werewolves he created. Yep. Isn't that fascinating? It all came from this little hour and 10 minute film. All the, like there were hints of werewolf mythology, um, elsewhere, but everything that you think is true about werewolf mythology, it it all came from this film. Yeah. The role of silver, I believe Mm -hmm. is his, that's his, is the full moon, his, uh, the, the moon in general. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then that it's so interesting. Okay. So, all right. There is a, um, there's a computer game when I was a, a kid called Quest for Glory uh, Shadows of Darkness. Okay, it was the fourth in the series. And it is by far the best. Uh, it was a CD-ROM game, so you had like voice acting and stuff like that. Uh, the narrator was uh, John Reese davies Oh, hey. Um, and it just, and each Quest for Glory game took place in like a different uh, location and drew from different types of folklore. Hmm. And so the fourth one drew from like Russian and Slavic folklore with a heavy, uh, bend towards, uh, Lovecraftian imagery. Oh, so there's okay. a lot going on there, but there's a, and there are gypsies in it. And hmm. so there's a big part of a big aspect of werewolves and, and that sort of thing. And at one point the, uh, the villagers, uh, talk about just the age old, uh, poem uh, about oh, werewolves. Yeah, you know, yeah. even a man who is pure in heart and says his prayers by night may become a wolf when the wolf's bane blooms and the autumn moon is bright. I've heard it quoted many times, and it was written by Kurt Siodmak. It mm-hmm. did not exist before 1941. It is amazing. He just made the it up. impact that he has that he has had culturally mm-hmm. on every werewolf thing. Yeah, like it is. It is astounding to me. Yeah. Um, so uh, that was a long way to go to say that, like, <laughs> but just, like that's just a like they don't reference. I mean, I'm the, the film is the, sorry. The game is full of references to to old movies and stuff like that. Yeah. But um, but they don't wink at you with that. It's just a reference that's that that has become a part of werewolf lore now. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
I'm a, I like the Wolfman. I don't love it. When I think of those universal, here's a fun game. Um, <laughs> if I were to rank oh. the universal horror films and I, I'll list them in no particular order, Dracula, Frankenstein, the invisible man, the Wolfman, the mummy creature from the black lagoon. Mm-hmm. And if I'm feeling, yeah, I'll go ahead and throw bride of Frankenstein in there as mm-hmm. well. So that's seven films. If I yeah. were to rank them, uh, as far as my preference, mm-hmm. number one would probably be bride of Frankenstein. Okay. And then probably Frankenstein, hmm. then the invisible man. So that's three. That's all di- same director. That's all James yeah. whale mm-hmm. and then Dracula and then Wolfman. Interesting. Uh, so it's, it's in that seven, it's number five. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I've never really responded to mummy stuff. I don't know. Uh, yeah, no, I agree with you. Mummy. I, I actually agree with your, pl- with your placement, except for I would switch, uh, Dracula would be higher for me. Dracula might be second for me okay. to, to the original Frankenstein. I love bride of Frankenstein, but I would probably put it third or fourth. Cause I also love the invisible man. But the reason I'm, the only reason I'm pointing that out is because I completely like Wolfman and the mummy and even creature from the black lagoon definitely make up the bottom half of that list. Right. Doesn't mean I don't, doesn't mean I don't respond to them. I, right. I like them a lot. I would even say that I love them. I always enjoy watching them around yeah. Halloween. I, I always pull out, uh, you know, one or two of them to watch. So it was a good excuse to watch Wolfman to prepare for this. But, uh, but yeah, I definitely think that those make up kind of the, the, the lesser. Well, and I think maybe it's because they're not based on anything. Hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, and bride of Frankenstein isn't really based on, on a book or anything like that. Well, it actually bride of Frankenstein. Well, the the bride, there's a bride in, in the original original novel. That's right. The original, the second half of the original novel is definitely, uh, like bride of Frankenstein definitely gleams from that, but it Mm -hmm. gleams from it, it, it kind of like, Oh, let's just take what we did with the, first movie, you know, changing everything, everything, <laughs> and then just take the idea of the second half of the novel and just change everything again. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's just like, essentially what they got was, uh, a bride. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, but, uh, yeah, but Wolfman wasn't specifically based on anything. Creature from the Black Lagoon, to my knowledge, was not specifically based no. on anything. Mm-hmm. And then the mummy was based on obviously some, you know, lore and yeah, that kind Egyptian of thing. folklore. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, the other ones are based on books. And, uh, so at the very least they had a certain grounding, yeah. uh, in that. Um, so, so yeah, I don't, yeah, like yourself, I don't mean to speak ill of the Wolfman, especially because now when you think of the, t- so those are, those are all of them and we're ranking them when you're thinking of the characters, oh, yeah. Wolfman, Dracula, Frankenstein, I'm not ranking them there, but it's like, those are the big, three. those are the three, like yeah. mm-hmm. the mummy creature from the black lagoon, the bride, uh, the invisible man, like their second tier, the top mm-hmm. three are those three. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, the, and it, like the better ones, it creates a real sense of atmosphere, like in the mm-hmm. gypsy village or yeah. not a camp, I guess, gypsy camp. Yeah. And in like, you know, the, the Talbot castle or Talbot hall or whatever you call it. And just in the woods with the perpetual fog and that sort of thing. Yeah. Like it creates a a real tone. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that I liked about the, the, the remake with Benicio, Benicio del Toro. It was like, yeah. it was so clearly in, influenced by, that old imagery and does it so one uh, wonderfully well. It's not a perfect film, but I like that yeah. at the very least. And so, uh, but one thing that I really respond to about the Wolfman, and I think this is actually what brought me 
to it as a companion film is that not only is uh, he does uh, Lawrence Talbot have his own version of sundowning, but um, <laughs> yeah, there's also there's a real tragic element to it. There's always been a tragic element to werewolves. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think maybe so Frankenstein's monster, I think, is the most tragic of all of those monsters. Yeah. But Lawrence Talbot's life is rough mm-hmm. um, because his whole goal, as is the monsters, by the way, his whole goal is to die. Yeah, that's that's his when he achieves his goals, he, it means he's dead. That's yeah. the only way to free himself from this curse. And he does die at the end of this, but then they bring him back. So, but that's the thing. Anytime Lawrence Talbot shows up, his goal is to die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it's really dark and it's very tragic. And Lon Chaney has a very specific quality to him. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a very, he's a big guy. Yeah. And yet he just seems so sad mm-hmm. and broken yeah. and surprisingly vulnerable. And it is kind of a bummer that he uh, came to be known as a function of this primarily as a horror guy because and i know i forget what western he was in some western where he apparently did a really great job but like well he's a he's an exceptional actor the thing that stood out to me is uh he's lenny in the of mice and men with burgess meredith yeah um and so stuff like that and that speaks to him being like that big guy again yeah, yeah um but yeah i i feel like if if you moved if you if his career went in just a slightly different direction, I feel like he would have been like one of the great dramatic actors Mm -hmm. of that age. But as it is, we think of him as like the horror guy first, right? Mm -hmm. He's right there with Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff. Um, but I think that because of the way he looked and just the way he carried himself, I think he could have worked, you know, Bela Lugosi and even Boris Karloff, like the way they talk, the way they look. Yeah. They are great horror guys, mm-hmm. but he could have made the transition into straight up drama as he did in that film, but, yeah. um, uh, in, in, uh, of mice and men. So, uh, so Lon Chaney brings with him a, a, a sadness and just, I don't know, he just has a really interesting screen presence for, you know, the hero of one of these films. Yeah. And, you know, we're dealing with werewolves. It could have been pulpy, and it could have been just fun and just, oh, look at the, you know, and, and they could have really reveled in the makeup effects, but instead they revel in the tragedy mm-hmm. and the sadness of Lawrence Talbot. And, um, and one of the things that I find so interesting is that Claude Rains plays his father. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that's interesting for a number of reasons. One is that I'm going to go ahead and say that uh, Lon Chaney Jr. is, I don't know, three feet taller than uh, Claude Rains. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh looks like he was adopted (laughs) yeah oh no question about it and that's one of the things that i actually liked about the new one i found i feel like on purpose they cast anthony hopkins (laughs) as benicio del toro's father and there's about the same height and they couldn't look any more different that's true um but one thing that i like is that um is that lawrence as opposed to sir john claude reigns is sir john and then Mm -hmm. lawrence is his son um, Lawrence has been away from his family for years, 18 years, 18 yeah. years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You've seen, you've seen it recently. Yeah, so, yeah. uh, so, you know, I'll go ahead and let you describe the plot, but I'll also let you describe like your reaction to the film. Cause you actually, when I said this was the companion film, you said, Oh boy, now I get to rewatch it. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You were excited to rewatch. I was like, this it, is so. what I'm watching tonight. So what do you like so much about this movie? <laughs> well, um, it's your favorite movie of all time. What do you like so much about it? <laughs> 
Um, to, oh, wait, the companion film's not The Exorcist? Shoot. Oh, I watched, boy. The, I watched the wrong movie. Oh, if only um, Lon Chaney was possessed by a demon, that'd be amazing. <laughs> um, it, it sure changed the vulnerability aspect of things. But, uh, no, the, the thing that, uh, well, I definitely think the mood is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, in general, all those old Universal Monster movies have just a great handle on mood yeah. and uh and and tone um it's uh it's immediately set up that lon cheney is uh that that he's been away for 18 years what has brought him back is actually the unfortunate accidental death of his brother mm-hmm. who was going to take over for his father um and his father is now depending on lawrence talbot to to sort of carry the reins with it and and the two reins oh wow that was so accidental claude reigns <laughs> yes yes he reigns supreme so yeah. the um but yeah so basically he comes back in and he's uh you know just getting acquainted with the the town and getting acquainted with people flirting with the neighbor you know like mm-hmm. he's, he's doing all of these sorts of things and then uh pretty quickly because the film's brief the film's an hour yes. and 10 minutes yes, sure. uncut you know and get so, in get out yeah and so so everything just moves and he very quickly um just goes on a little date with this girl and while he's out there uh you know they encounter a wolf um and the wolf attacks um the girl he's out with's friend um and then uh, he kills the wolf and in the process is bitten and mm-hmm. of course you know it, he he then becomes one we go into the film as we do most of these older films knowing more about it than the characters right. know about it um cuz the film does treat it as something of a mystery but yeah. it's uh, but yeah i mean we already know like oh you've been bit by a werewolf this is what's going to happen you're going to um one of the things that i find really interesting about um like a uh, uh, older the, the cultural divide between like we know more than the character than the original audience did like i think yeah. about that with um, have you ever read dr jekyll and mr hyde yes. read the book so it's like that book treats it as if that reveal is a very very big deal and yeah. it hides it until the last possible moment uh, but we go into it like why are they making such a big deal and they're the same person you know yeah. um, and it's kind of that way with the wolf man because the wolf man there you know oh what is this deal about a wolf we're hunting a wolf yeah. and we as the audience they're like it's him <laughs> you know yeah. like this is this is what's going on you know and, but of course we know like, it's so fascinating again to to go back to what we were talking about before we approach this with such a nonchalant attitude. It's like, well, don't they realize the rules? And then we, re- and then again, this is the very film that set up the rules. So audiences quite literally didn't know the yeah, rules. Yeah, exactly. Because they, there weren't rules yet. Mm-hmm. And I find that fascinating. I'm sorry, go on. No, no, that's fine. Yeah. It's, and, and so basically they do, they set it all up. Um, one of the things that it, that is very interesting is that as it's beginning to become clear that at the very least something is wrong with Larry Talbot, um, although nobody believes him when he says, right. I am a werewolf, please, you know, like look at this scar that's in the shape of a pentagram on my chest, <laughs> you know? And um, so uh, he says, you know, I am a werewolf, um, but particularly nobody believes him, particularly his father, yeah. um, who uh, you get the sense throughout the, throughout the whole film that he genuinely cares. He defends him, you know, mm-hmm. like he defends his son uh, multiple times through the course of the film um, for various things. But then you get the sense at the end of it where um, he thinks his son has is finally beginning to lose his mind. And he's like, listen, I'm going to assure you. He ties his son to a chair so that his son can look out the window and see 
them hunt for this wolf thing right. uh, from the window of their of their castle. Um, and then eventually, and it is it, it's it's a pretty emotional scene. Um, because then eventually, uh, obviously the, the wolf curse takes him over, uh, uh, Lawrence Talbot goes out into the fog and the person that he confronts is his father. Yeah. And, um, his father doesn't realize anything. He just feels, he just realizes that he's being attacked by this wolf man. Yeah. So, so he, they, they struggle, they fight. And then ultimately, um, uh, Claude Rains kills, uh, or Sir John kills, his son mm-hmm. uh, doesn't know as his son is at the time, but kills him. And then it's after that, that he, you know, obviously the body changes back into its human form now right. that it's dead and he realizes it. And, uh, it, and then it winds, it, it ends on a very, it almost ends on this odd sort of note though, because when the rest of the people who were hunting this wolf arrive and see Larry Talbot's body there, yeah. their immediate reaction is, to, they immediately suspect the wolf must have been attacking the girl and Larry stepped in to save her. Right. And the only person in the entire crowd who knows otherwise is the gypsy lady and uh, his dad. And um, and the look on Claude Rains's face when they're saying this, you know, and he doesn't object. He's just yeah. going to let that going to let that lie slide um, is very is very tragic. And, it, and that's that's the note that the whole thing ends on. Yeah, and I feel like that's the there is tremendous power in in the film. I think maybe one of the reasons that I don't love it is partially because I feel like it's paced in a strange way. Like, mm. you know, when I think of my top three, I think of they're all made by the same guy. Like, and James yeah. Whale has yeah. like we we're talking about it with M Night Shyamalan. He has such a command of tone, mm-hmm. and it's consistent even when characters are being you know even when Uda O'Connor is going insane mm-hmm. uh, and being over the top and ridiculous. Like he still manages to make it seem like the same reality as the this tragic monster. You know, yeah. um, Todd Browning does does a pretty good job with Dracula, but it drags a little bit Mm. more like Dracula. You know what I mean? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Wow. But then, uh, but yeah, with this one, like the, the, the sets are there. The acting is there. The makeup by Jack Pierce is certainly there. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, but I feel like it just, it's weird even at an hour and 10 minutes. And even with each scene going like, just cranking it out, it somehow seems to drag a little bit for me. Well, it takes a long time before you see the Wolfman and that may be part of it because maybe, although I still enjoy spending time with Claude rains. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Lon Chaney, but, but yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. I think, I think the Wolfman doesn't make him even his first appearance until the last like 20 or 30 minutes of the movie. Yeah. Um, but which, you know, it sounds like the last half basically. (laughs) I know I was about to say like, which, you know, is the last half of the movie, but yeah, I mean, you're, you're going into a movie called the Wolfman and then you, you know, it's a good 40 minutes before you've seen any sort of transformation or anything like that. So it, it does feel a little long. And that might be a function of having seen it so long after that. We know what the Wolfman looks like already. Mm-hmm. Um, we know what's going to happen. And so we watch it being like, okay, look, we all know where we're headed. So just yeah. get there. Uh, but it's, it is setting a tone and it mm-hmm. is setting a pace and it's setting up characters. And yeah, to me, like, again, like there's not, it's not a one-to-one comparison. Like as a companion film, I think I wanted to emphasize like the sense of mourning, the sense of distance between, between loved ones and relatives, Mm -hmm. um, a a desire for reconciliation. Um, not that, not that Sir John and, and Larry need to be reconciled. They don't have a bad relationship, but when he's been gone for 18 years and Mm -hmm. it takes a death in the family, 
to come back. Clearly it's just like, okay, well they're not super tight. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. and there does seem to be a sadness there. And also this feeling of like, eh, maybe his dad would be more inclined to believe him if he knew him at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so there is kind of this, this, and there's always just the general tragedy of the Wolfman situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but also this feeling of like, he, he wants to be able to turn to somebody and he wants to turn to his father, but because they have this distance and because his father is who he is, he just can't. Yeah. And so, right. you know, and so there's the sadness there at the end that, you know, I, I don't know what he could have done, but like, maybe if I believed my son, we wouldn't be in this position you know and the Mm -hmm. fact that it's like it's not merely that larry is eventually killed it's that his own father does it and so i feel like it's just chock full of meaning there and that his father you know he's not an unsympathetic character by any stretch um again like you said he defends his son right right but uh but there's just maybe a stubbornness to him and just a and a certain emotional distance there that uh by the end the the sadness on his face is not merely the sadness of oh I've lost another son or even that I've killed my son it's right. that what it's like I feel like I could have prevented this yeah, if, if I, I was just closer yeah. to Larry and so uh, so again just when I think of the visit because the the way that it ends it ends on such an interesting note it's it ends on a note that's purely thematic and character but it's purely thematic like the yeah. danger is over. Mm-hmm. Um, and it ends with Catherine Hahn talking to uh, the camera that her daughter yeah. is set up and talking about how much she regrets um, that she won't be able to reconcile with her parents mm-hmm. now. It's done. But not even so much that, but also realizing if only I had reconciled years ago, yeah, this wouldn't be possible. Right. Because my my children would have known who their grandparents are. They would have known what they look like. Yeah. And thus, these mental patients would not have seen this as an option. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? And just like... So I'm sure she feels a certain degree. She feels uh, guilty and responsible. But I think even more so than that. Because I think she can acknowledge like, well, you know, it's certainly no one could have predicted this would have happened. Right. This odd right. thing would happen. But at the same time, there is that sense of just mourning and grief but also just this this feeling that like again that like we were talking about before once we realize that the grandparents are dead there's just this you just feel like something is cut short and you'll you're never going to get this satisfaction you're never going to get the word is closure you're never going yeah. to get that closure yeah. it's mm-hmm. always going to be just out there a loose end that was never tied up and never can be and the loose end by the way is her relationship with her parents yeah you know because at the very oh i'm sorry no go ahead uh, because at the very beginning she sets up that when she left something terrible happened and i actually loved the way that Shyamalan wrote for her character she says I did something that I choose not to tell you if they choose to tell you that's their business yeah and so then I just was not expecting in a film that has already been a balance of comedy and horror once the horror is over you expect it to go back to comedy yeah I was not expecting that when the horror is over you're going to go to a genuine for me genuinely tear jerking moment like I got I got really caught up in the gravity of what she was telling yeah. her daughter about, you know, how it, it, she said forgiveness was 
always available to her. Yeah. And she chose not to not to pursue it for for whatever reason, you know, for bitterness or for anger or for whatever that she never chose to explore the possibility of reconciliation and the fact that the the all of these scary things that have happened to these kids leads you to that place, I found yeah. it very effective. And it does speak, again, to go to the return to form. We've talked about Shyamalan's command of tone. We've talked about his his humor and the way he writes characters. He is a guy who, with, you know, uh, with Sixth Sense and, and Unbreakable, and I think definitely with Signs, he is willing to explore the dramatic elements mm-hmm. uh, of his characters. You know, the, the dinner scene in Signs is so oh, man. heart-wrenching. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's just like there are so many people that think Signs is, is dumb because of certain plot elements. And it's just like, yes, but look at that scene. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're going to tell me that that's not that that doesn't pull you in and that that doesn't buy uh, buy the film a ton of credit with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and her and, and Shyamalan ending with that scene. It does end actually on a note of comedy officially. Oh, well, that's true. That's but, true. Yeah. Um, but even then, it's like you. I, I could say it ends on a note of comedy. You could also say it ends on a note of hope because we see mm. that these characters, they're they're together. They're they're gonna be okay. You know, mm-hmm. it is a sad thing, but they they're going to be able to move on with their lives and and continue and probably be much closer with each other than they ever were before. Right. Um, right. But yeah, the that scene with the mom was not officially necessary. Mm-hmm. It's necessary to declare a theme. Um, but also to develop characters and to just, I don't know, clearly this is a thing that is, I think, close to M. Night Shyamalan's heart. He clearly has, um, he has strong opinions about faith and does seem to focus on the idea of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And as opposed to, you know, in, in signs, you have a character who essentially needs to forgive God, um, for taking his wife away. And, and the film is kind of, it's not necessarily a cautionary tale, but it's this feeling like you, certainly the circumstances that happened in the visit probably won't happen to you, (laughs) right? but something else could happen. Mm Mm-hmm that cuts these cuts this stuff short and you never know like there is no tomorrow to do this you could do it today if there is somebody out there that you do not feel close to or you don't uh, you have a problem with like right now is the time to forgive them or Mm. the time to accept their forgiveness yeah um you know and in that same way the the wolfman i don't think there's like a, a brokenness there i don't think that there's a, a a rift there but there is a distance there mm-hmm. and you can tell at the end with with sir john that just like there's that same sense of a lack of closure with mm-hmm. his son at the very least being able, like being able to say to him i'm so sorry i didn't believe you yeah you know and it's just uh because if you want to get you know a little bit lofty about it and a little bit melodramatic about it, like can you imagine turning to your parents or or yeah, let's say parents, people who are theoretically always on your side and you turn to them for help and they say, I don't believe you. In in a way, okay, again, this is super cheesy. You you feel like they're killing you a little bit, you know, just yeah. like mm-hmm. a little bit. You're you're dying inside just a little bit when you feel like you can turn to somebody and they decide and they say, no, I'm sorry, you you thought you could turn to me. You cannot. Right. Um, yeah. And then he literally kills his son. And so um, 
and I'm not saying that uh, that the mom literally kills her parents uh, in <laughs> no, that, but no. it's more just again in both cases there's they're now just stuck with these feelings. You know, mm-hmm. eventually they'll have to forgive themselves and they'll have to move on, but it's just like there's nothing I can do. It's like it's like tensing a muscle and you have to, you have to just keep it tensed. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and it's uh so, you know, to bring things back to the nature of this show, you know, forgiveness is a thing that we've been talking about uh, a fair amount this this month, oddly enough. Mm, yeah. um, you know, with the Babadook, we talk about that and just this idea of holding on to resentment, holding on to forgiveness and just... <laughs> Admittedly, uh, your resentment might not turn into the Babadook and your, <laughs> and your, uh, your distance and your stubbornness and your pride might not result in, you know, one of your loved ones being murdered by a mental patient. <laughs> right. Um, it probably won't result in that, but may, who knows? Maybe the opportunity will go away. Maybe mm. the person won't want to extend their forgiveness anymore. Now mm. that's on them certainly, but you never know what the one thing you know is what tomorrow oh what today is you don't yeah. know what tomorrow will bring and you know what what is the uh oh shoot i don't have the verse in front of me but like it's like don't let the sun go down on your anger oh, or something yeah. like that that's pretty know? close to it yeah and so just now is the time for reconciliation even if there's tremendous pain there mm-hmm. like and maybe you're not in a position to overtly forgive somebody completely today maybe you still have some some healing to do mm-hmm. but as long as you are acknowledging that you've been hurt you need to heal so that you can move back to this person mm-hmm. and and reconcile and maybe the relationship's never going to be what it was that's understandable too right, right. but moving towards reconciliation and forgiveness is always a good thing because you never know if you won't have the opportunity tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. So I think we'll leave it there. Um, the episode, uh, good solid length. I'll take it. We went into right. a lot of detail about the visit. <laughs> um, and yeah, listeners, if you ha- we've spoiled both films. Um, yeah. But that doesn't mean they're not worth watching. Uh, one of the good things about M. Night Shyamalan's films, when he does it right, is that you can revisit them over and over again and find, you know, sometimes you find little hints at what the reveal is going to be, but you also find little nuances of character that I really like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the Wolfman, you know, people have been returning to it for decades at this point. Oh yeah. Um, and, uh, and so there's nothing wrong with that, but anyway, um, so that is going to be the end of Halloween times 2015. Wow. Very exciting. We talked about, it's been quite a ride. Um, talked about a lot of movies many of them are available on netflix right now uh the visited i think is still in theaters so if you haven't gotten a chance to see them uh go and watch them and enjoy yourself uh you can email me tyler at more than one you can like us on facebook you can follow me on twitter at more lessons you can follow reed on twitter at reed lackey at reed lackey um i think that is about it thank you everybody for listening reed, uh, reed thanks for being here or rather thanks for letting me be here in your house <laughs> you're welcome that is anytime inf- that is infested with spiders <laughs> yeah yeah sadly. Uh, but yes thank you uh for uh being my co-host and uh thank you guys for listening and we'll get you next time bye